I hope everybody's brought a Bible with them. And if you do, we're going to open up to Job chapter 1. Job 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 5 to begin our time together. Job 1, verse 1 through 5, the Word of God reads, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 700 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 females, donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons would go out and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And so it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them. He would rise up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. So many of y'all know this about me, but Thanksgiving is easily one of my favorite days of the year. This week is one of my favorite weeks of the year. And I mean, I, I start processing and mentally preparing for the day and its activities, specifically the edible content that comes with the activity, literally weeks in advance. I got to start getting ready, right, for, for what's going to happen, right? And now some people pre-game, and you know, I, I do what I call pre-meal, um, and I'm sure my enthusiasm for Thanksgiving is fueled mostly by nostalgia, and the food that comes along with it just adds to the good feelings and the memories that this season brings. But in and of itself, nothing beats Thanksgiving food, and if it gets you a little bit hungry before the day comes, that's okay. We'll be eating here soon. Maybe not Thanksgiving food. Maybe you've got a special uh, early Thanksgiving meal to look forward to. Maybe you can take me with you if you do, but I, I, I can't. i got to save it all for Thursday because we'll get to that. Um, but I, I'll save you all the pictures and descriptions because I think I've been a little bit too enthusiastic up here before about Thanksgiving. Um, but I have to start prepping my body for the magnitude of food that I'm going to consume come Thursday and Friday, and and maybe even Saturday. And that really kind of speaks to the secret best part of Thanksgiving. Because I don't know about y'all, but one of the most first world of first world problems that I struggle with, deeply struggle with, and battle every Thanksgiving, is not getting to fully appreciate my favorite foods. Now again, I know know I'm sinning while I'm talking about this, because this is so gluttonous of me. But really, I, I, I struggle, I don't get to enjoy my favorite foods as much as I really want to. Because the thing is, there are certain foods that I know I'm only going to get once a year. I mean, maybe twice, but I'm only going to be blessed with certain foods once or twice a year. So when I get them in front of me, i got to savor the moment. Um, And so what I always do is I load up my plate, sometimes two plates, because one gets a little bit too bulky, and depending on what kind of plates they are, sometimes they can't handle all the food that I want to put on them. Um, But uh, sometimes I get two plates. So I load up the food with uh, with half to three-fourths of which I really don't want. Or really don't care about. Um, but, but, but it's there, right? I mean, you go through the line and there's just so much food and I don't even know what half of it is. And I don't even want half of it. But it's there, right? And I got to eat it. So I go and in the corner of my plate, sometimes the second layer of my plate, because I got to start, you know, figuring this out ahead of time. I get the good stuff on the bottom and then I load it up on top of it. Um, I really, there's a science to this. So sometimes in the corner of my plate is the stuff that I'm really here for. You know, the stuff that I really am excited about. But I got to save it for last, okay? So I've got the turkey and the dressing and the green bean casserole, because that's my favorite. And then I've got the really good macaroni and cheese and mashed potatoes, 
because that's you know they're they're always good stand-ins. Um, the really the stuff that I really want, I've got it kind of over in a corner. And you might think this is a big plate. Yeah, they're big plate, the big big oblong ones. <laughs> right, I gotta make sure I get those. Um, I've got all the good stuff over in the corner, and then on top of that stuff, or maybe sometimes kind of in the center of all that stuff, is the five other casseroles that I don't even know what is in them, right? Uh, the ham and the other vegetables. Um, and sometimes I even foolishly think I should try yams again this year. I never like them and I still try to eat them. And I think, man, this is bad. And it just takes up room in my stomach. So that's the problem, right? So I, I, I'm so focused on saving the good stuff for the last of my meal. I, I sit down and I plow through all the casseroles. and I'm not even sure what they include. I eat this and I eat that. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, all I really want to do is eat the green bean casserole. Like, that's all I want to do, but I can't eat it yet, right? Because there's all this other stuff, and I can't eat the good stuff until the very end. So all, in the back of my mind, all I want to do is eat the dressing and the fancy mac and cheese and the green bean casserole. I don't even care about the other stuff, but there's just this complex in me that says the B-tier the B stuff comes first, then the A-tier stuff. And it happens every single year. I finally wade into the good stuff, and lo and behold, I'm full, right? But, I mean, I'm about to pass out full, Right? And, and, I, and if I do soldier through, I really don't get to appreciate the things that I really wanted the most. And that's not even considering the banana pudding and pump, pumpkin bread and the stuff that's on the other side, right, of the kitchen. Now, now uh, but, alas, the Thanksgiving, as Thanksgiving Thursday nears its end, and I'm miserably full, um, while also disappointed because I didn't get to enjoy the food I waited all year to consume. But there's this beacon of hope in the distance. <laughs> and that's Friday and that's Saturday. Because the secret best part about Thanksgiving is the leftovers. Because for me, for me, right, I get to finally enjoy the things that I really wanted to eat mostly on Thursday, but I just was too you know, ignorant to not just eat those things and let the other stuff go. Friday and Saturday, I take home the stuff that I really wanted, and I get to eat on that for the next couple of days. See, Thanksgiving for me is always a blur. Now, uh, you know, there's, there's family, and there's friends, and then there's sometimes you end up wandering around, you know, Walmart or something, right, thinking you're going to buy something that you, you know, uh, that you really need. And, and you know, I, and, and I wake up on Friday morning, and I've never drank, I've never been drunk before, but I wake up on Friday morning, and I just kind of feel like, what happened yesterday, right? I mean, I just kind of wake up, and I'm like, is this what it feels like, right? No, you know. You know, I don't know. I wake up and I'm just kind of like, oh, you know, I don't know what. Last thing I did was eat some banana pudding at about 11 o'clock. And, you know, now I shouldn't have done that. Now, and, you know, and, and you go out and if you go out and you do that Black Friday thing, you know, maybe you just spend money that you thought you were going to save money, but you end up spending twice as much because everything's on sale, right? And then you just fill your wallet and you think, I thought I was supposed to save, not spend. And, 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 and when all the family gatherings and the food consuming and the Christmas shopping, when all of it's over and you feel awful, my hopes get renewed. Because on Friday morning, I stagger into the kitchen, and I open the fridge, and there they are, the leftovers. And for breakfast and lunch and dinner, for maybe two, three days, I get to relive the best parts of Thanksgiving without all the people and all the noise and all the food I didn't really want. Now, maybe you can relate. Maybe you can't relate. Maybe you're smarter than me and have a little bit more of, a, of self-control than I do. You can tell I struggle with that. But <laughs> we got to get spiritual for a minute. Um, then we'll get back to talking about food, and we'll rank the top five casseroles and desserts. How about that? Now, y'all think I'm joking. i really, I got charts up here. Um, they're neck and neck. I, the casseroles are, I don't know which ones are neck and neck, but there's a landslide on the dessert column. But, but really, for real. 
we're very, very privileged and fortunate to be able to sit around and talk about and look forward to a day when we get to indulge ourselves with more food than we have any business eating in the whole time of, span of a week, right? And while the whole idea of Thanksgiving is, of course, about coming together and giving thanks and appreciating and recognizing the blessings that we have in life, if you have faith, if you're a believer, one of the basic tenets of our faith is knowing that God is good and that out of his goodness, he has provided for us, right? You know, a day for Thanksgiving has been a staple in faith communities for thousands of years. King David actually led the nation of Judah in a day of Thanksgiving back in 1000 B.C., and that really was the basis, and the scripture from Chronicles is the basis for what inspired many kings and leaders throughout history, throughout the years, to call for a day of thanksgiving and prayer. And as most of you know, um, Abraham Lincoln, uh, President Lincoln, back in 1863, began the tradition that we currently uphold to this day. That on a, late thir- on a, on a Thursday in late November, the whole country should unite in thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens, and that's from Lincoln's own decree. Now, most of you know, Lincoln issued the decree in the middle of a dreadful time in our country. Uh, It was a time of civil unrest, a time of bloody war, where the country and all of its people were on the brink of coming completely undone. And, And Lincoln had a theory. Lincoln had a hunch as to why this was happening. And maybe you don't know this, but Lincoln actually had a very complex, uh, uh, you know, biblical understanding of why he thought this unrest had come upon our country. He cited that our tendency to forget the source from which our country had become so blessed, Lincoln cited that our forgetfulness, our forgetfulness that stemmed from our fullness, was the reason we had become so disjointed and so torn apart. Now, maybe you're wondering, why would that cause that? We had become so full during the times of plenty and the blessings and enrichment that upon consuming all those things, upon acquiring all those things, he says there was no thankfulness left over. That fullness produced forgetfulness. And while many paid lip service to God in the moment, in the days since the nation had grew and prospered, there was no sense of gratitude. And that needed to be changed. See, Lincoln Suppose that it was the morning after the harvest and there was no thanksgiving left over. And of course, everyone was happy in the moment, but the country at this point, disjointed and disunified as it was, had no joy, had no thankfulness for all that God had already done. They were waiting for something else, something new. So Lincoln, there was this great and terrible sin in spite of which God continued to bless the nation for some time. But now the nation becomes so entitled, so embittered, that it needed a reminder. It needed a day of giving thanks, even if you didn't feel like it. Even though there weren't many reasons to give thanks, as the skies darkened with the fog of war, Lincoln challenged the people to check their cupboards and remember the days before, to count their blessings that were left over from years of God's favor being poured out in spite of our sin. Lincoln's address to the nation about that first Thanksgiving went a little like this. The year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Isn't that powerful? That these bounties that continue to come in over and over again, we forget, we forget, we forget, we've forgotten the source. And they come in so quickly and so numerously that we don't ever pause and think, wow, God, 
has done all this. Others have even been added, which are so of so extraordinary of nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart, which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. Now, Lincoln either had a really good penman or a really good helper, or he was really deep in his theological understanding, right? That even the most dead of hearts could not ignore the goodness of God. There are the gracious gifts of the Most High God who while dealing with us in anger for our sins has nevertheless remembered mercy. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? Could it be? Could it be that we too we, could it be that we so focus on the goodness of God which He has shared with us that we often forget the God behind the good? Could it be that we so often rejoice about the good that we glaze over, we forget, we overlook, we bypass the God of the good? Hello? Could that be? a problem, a struggle that we deal with? And could this be, could this be the reason why when we become so full, rather than being thankful, we're forgetful? Could it be? Because we focus on the good, not just the God. That when we are full and we get full, don't we? Our minds are not at all thankful, but rather forgetful. And while we by nature assemble with families and friends every fourth Thursday of November, even on Sundays and Wednesdays in churches like this, and offer up praises and worship and thanks like clockwork, we leave, we finish, we convene and go to the next thing, the next event, the next holiday, the next meal, the next day, and we wake up full and forgetful, blessed and favored, enriched and maybe a little spoiled. And while there's many leftover blessings, there are not many leftover thanks. See, this Thursday, Thanksgiving will be here like it is every year. And most families will join for one, maybe even two festive meals where many will talk and eat and sleep. And perhaps some will venture into the brave abyss of doorbusters and holiday shopping. We'll sit in living rooms watching football and parades, gather in dining rooms, indulging in deep fried turkeys and pumpkin pies. But then Thursday will fade into the night and with all its formalities and its traditions. And I think we need to consider this question more even than the what deal we might strike the next day or what food we can reheat. When we, when we wake up on Friday morning, will there be any Thanksgiving left over? As in, was it just a day to join in the formalities and the chorus, or was it genuine? Did we make it a genuine day of thankfulness that will lead to more thankfulness, or was it just a day of fullness that just leads to forgetfulness? I think all of this can be sorted out, and we can predict how we will conduct ourselves the next day, the next week, the next year, by answering another question. When you are thankful, why are you thankful? Like in those moments that you're very thankful, this Thursday, today, tomorrow, whenever you have these moments of joy, these moments of, wow, I'm so thankful. When you are thankful, what's the reason? Why, have you ever thought, you know, why am I thankful? Why are you thankful? I, I think the answer on the surface is pretty easy and it's sound and it, it's admirable. I think most of, most of us would say we're thankful 
Because God has been good to us. Or we're thankful when God has been good or is good to us, right? That seems pretty solid. It seems pretty biblical. That seems pretty normal, right? As God's goodness is what prompts us to, uh, to be thankful. And on Thanksgiving Day, this tent pole every year, we come together and count our blessings. We maybe name them one by one. We count our many blessings and revel and bask in what God has done. Because yes, God is so good. Yes, God is so good. He is so good to me, right? I am blessed. I am called. I am healed. I am a whole. I am saved, right? And that's awesome. And man, that makes my heart warm when I think about that. We are blessed. We are called. We are healed. We are whole. Saved in Jesus' name, right? But is that the real reason for which we ought to give thanks and be thankful? No matter what. I mean, what if there's a day when there aren't identifiable blessings and we can't count them? What if there's a day when we don't hear a voice or a calling? What if there's a day when we aren't healed but rather sick? We aren't whole but rather broken? Is that a day in which we should curse and and scorn and revile? When a day of bad comes and there is no good, should we just curse the day as if it was not from God? On that day, should we... Also, give thanks. See, I guess my point is that if we ever give thanks on the basis of having received something measurably good, if we only ever give thanks because we get something, or because something good happens, we train ourselves to be thankful only when we're getting full. And that's so dangerous because once we get full, we will forget. In fact, there's a warning that is all throughout the Old Testament, even in the New that goes something like this over and over again. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, your silver and gold multiply, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you into this good place. Maybe you're wondering, well, what's the point of all this, Justin? To poke holes in my faith, in my worship, my joy, my good fortune. No, not, not at all. Not at all. The point is to give us a spirit of thanksgiving that is everlasting, not just temporary. Because you'll be happier if you find this. We'll be happier if we find this. Because while I don't like to admit it, there are a lot of bad days, right? That sometimes make the good days seem far and few between. What if there was a spirit of thanksgiving that was everlasting that could cause us What if this is about causing us to consider a different reason for which we should give thanks? And perhaps it would even extend the season of giving thanks. From just a day when it's convenient and staged. From just services when we're conditioned and led. To those seasons and those days when we don't feel like it at all. To those seasons and those days when we have no blessings to count and no good to measure. What if there's a new approach that could extend our thankfulness? To those seasons... Those seasons when our raw response to God, when our raw response in worship is no thanks at all. What if there was a way to change our tone, change our reaction whenever we don't feel like giving thanks at all? So maybe you're wondering, what is, your, what is the reason? Why should we give thanks? If it's not just because God has been good to me, or if it's not just because God has been good to us, what's a better reason to give thanks? What about God has been God to us? 
What if that's a better reason? As in, it may not always be good, but maybe that's part of God's plan. And maybe God's plan isn't just a reality when things are always good, but what if He's still God when things aren't good? What if? And if He's still God when things aren't good, then maybe that's a sign that He's even bigger and better than we thought. He doesn't just come out when the sun's shining. He's there when it's dark too. And maybe that means there are more reasons to give thanks to Him than, we can, than those that we can count and those that we can see and those that we can feel and those that we can hold. Because God being God means that no matter what is going on, whether we're up or down, that God is still good and we are still His. See, if we only give thanks during what we perceive to be good times, if we only give thanks for what we take as good things, then there may be a season of your life when things turn for the worse, when fortunes begin to dry, when troubles begin to rise, and you wake up and you go to the fridge and there's nothing left over. And yeah, there was plenty before. But could it be the real crux of the matter is that throughout the good times, when the bad would trickle in, when we would brush it off because we still had plenty good to lean on, but we just ignored the tough, we evaded the challenge, we complained in the struggle, but we never gave thanks for those things. And now there are more of them. And now there is nothing but those difficult times. And now there's no thanks left over in the tank. Has God let us down? We think. Why has God withheld good from us, we may think. But if He is still God, isn't that, shouldn't that be good enough? And if you stripped away all the blessings, would there be any thanksgiving left over? We opened up with a reading from Job, a story that everybody here is very familiar with, I'm sure. The story of Job is one of the oldest accounts of human history and activity, but it's, the most valu- but it's most valuable for presenting one of the oldest and one of the first accounts of worship. Historically, it takes place during the times of Abraham, most believe. The story goes that Job was the greatest in all the land, and we're to assume we can easily conclude that Job has it so good because God is so good and was so good to him, right? That's easy to deduce. It's easy to come to the conclusion of, right? Job was so blessed because God had blessed him, of course. That makes sense. The focus of this introduction is as much about Job's children as it is him, though. As the children would all gather and celebrate on their days. The Scripture says their days, as in maybe their birthdays, maybe days of success, maybe holiday or family events. But Job, the Scripture says, would not go to these events. Job would decline the invitation. And maybe it's easy to understand why. Job was a busy guy. He was a businessman. He had a lot of irons in the fire. And no doubt his kids benefited from his many ventures and successes. And Job thought, man, I can't stop working because I've got to make sure my family continues to live at this standard that I've made for them and set for them. Job was proud and glad to see his kids prosper in his wake. But the text tells us, that when the, their week-long celebration, so this, I can, you know, we can kind of extrapolate from the story, that Job was like a really rich guy that had a lot of kids that didn't have to work, right? And his kids were spoiled. They were, they were on the board, right? But they didn't really do anything. They made more money than any of us, but they, we do all the work, and they actually just sit around and look, right, look nice and wear fancy clothes. Right? Job's family was very fortunate, right? They were living off of his wealth, and Job was not upset at all about that. He wanted it to be that way. Job was a good man, right? And Job loved seeing his kids enjoy good things. That was the heart of Job. Maybe the heart of God, right? So Job liked the fact that he could do the work while his kids got to enjoy. But the text tells us that Job 
was a little worried for his kids. That while they were all partying and, and enjoying the good fortunes of the world, Job would give thanks for his kids, as in, God, thank you for my children. I love them. I'm so blessed with them. But then he would also give thanks for his kids. As in, my kids aren't very grateful. My kids aren't very prayerful. My kids don't worship. My kids don't acknowledge God. My kids don't really appreciate where all this is coming from. So God, I want to say I'm thankful for them. I love them. They are the best kids I could have ever asked for. But also, God, I'm a little worried about my sons. Because they're not really like me when it comes to our relationship they're not really focused on you like I'm trying to focus on you. And I've taught them all that I ever could, God. But I, listen, they're not really worshiping you. And I'm worried about them. So God, I want to give thanks for them in case they haven't given thanks for themselves. Man, can you just see the heart of this man? Maybe you have that same heart in you, right? You worry about your kids or your grandkids, but you don't, you don't want to scold or hurt, right? You just want to come around them and hope that they get it right one day. Maybe you were that kid that got it right one day because somebody prayed for you, right? See, Job was a proud dad. He loved his kids, and he was glad that they were well off and could enjoy themselves. But he was a little concerned, right, knowing that he maybe had spoiled his kids too much. They were a little entitled. But what else was he to do? It was in his heart and nature to be good to his children. He had no regrets. He wouldn't have done it any other way. And beyond that, Job had many reasons to give thanks. He had a beautiful family, a booming business, fortunes upon fortunes, riches untold. He was so very thankful for all those things, or so it seemed. And there was this prevailing opinion about Job that everybody in the land kind of had. The prevailing opinion about Job was that he was only thankful because he was so full. I mean, the only reason this guy is so worshipful, the only reason this guy never misses worship services, the only reason this guy is so godly is because he's so full. I mean, you take that stuff away, you strip away all that good stuff, and Job would have no thanks left over at all. He would not be worshiping at all. Everyone thought this about Job. I'm sure most of them were just jealous of him, right? Some of them just thought simple cause and effect. Take away the good, there won't be any godliness. So Job was greatly blessed, which is why he was so, uh, so focused on blessing the Lord. Nothing else made sense as to why Job was so prone to give thanks. Perhaps Job did not like this perception, and maybe God knew there was more about Job than everyone thought. Perhaps that's why both of them were so open to what came next in the story. Job 1 verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Probably angels. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, from walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Because he had been considering his servant Job. And Satan had put this in everybody's mind that Job was this spoiled, entitled man that wasn't, truly, wasn't true in his faith. God says, there's none like him in all the earth. He's blameless and upright. He fears me and he shuns evil. I hear what you're saying about Job, Satan. That's not true. This man is the real deal. And Satan says what everyone has been saying. Have you not made a hedge around him? His household and all that he has on every side. You've blessed the work of his hands. His possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Come on, God, quit believing this delusion that he actually loves you. He just loves the stuff you've given him. 
And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person or his life. So Satan went away from the presence of the Lord. Man, it's so cool to see the behind the scenes, isn't it? Satan, the accuser, the tempter, the serpent, presents a pretty credible grace to God. He says, God, remember Eden? We were there, weren't we? Remember perfect Adam and innocent Eve? They had all the blessings they could ever want. But I exposed a fracture in that perfect paradise. I got their minds on the one thing you told them they couldn't have, and they forgot all the things that you gave them. The one outweighed the hundred and one. And you know that what, exposes, what this exposes about your perfect little creatures, they only are in this for what you can give them. They don't really love you. They didn't care that you had told them to do this or avoid that. <laughs> that you're their Lord. They only care about your goodness, and if it seems that you aren't good enough for them, they'll turn on you in a minute. Oh, you think Job is different? Oh, you think Job in this fallen world has been redeemed? There's no way he's any better than the original two. He's a chip off the old block. He just wants what you can give him. He doesn't trust you. He doesn't care about you. You're just a means to his end. Now, I don't know if Satan knew God's plans for Job. I don't know if he knows God's plans at all for any of us. But Satan's motive here was to take Job, was not just to take Job down, but it was to downplay God's sovereignty and try to trick any bystander into believing that if things aren't always on the up and up, then God must be down and out. And thus, there's no reason to worship a God who can't always guarantee you good. See, the enemy has a desire over you. The enemy's desire is to take our eyes, turn our eyes from God's plan to our hands. And focus on the moment so that at any given moment when you don't feel like worshiping, when you don't feel thankful, you won't be thankful. In fact, his goal in all this, we won't just be unthankful, but we'll skirt the lines of being unbelievers. Because to believe in God is to be thankful for God. For God, not just the stuff He gives us, but to be thankful for God. Even if things aren't always good, God is still always God. And that's enough. Enough of a reason to worship, to trust, to rest, and believe, and be thankful. Because, because if God is always enough, if God is always God, and we are always His, good or bad, we are right where we need to be. Always. See, God knew that Job was better than what Satan presented him to be, so he gave Job over to Satan. Now, we could spend all day talking about what that means, if it was a one-time thing or if this is regular occurrences in the kingdom of God. I simply don't know if we can know. I know the world has fallen, and the events that fall on Job, while extreme and excessive for a single day, aren't rare occurrences for many of us. We've been through things like Job goes through. I know the enemy's ultimate goal is to bring trouble on us and destroy our hope and our faith in God. And God could wipe away the enemy, but perhaps he loves those who have fallen for his lies too much. Perhaps he loves us too much to wipe us away as well. You see, Satan thought by taking away all of Job's good that he could separate Job from God and have Job for himself. But that's not how the story ends. Verse 13. 
There was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, probably the oldest brother's birthday. And remember, meanwhile, Job's worshiping during all this, right? He's praying during all this. And a messenger came to Job while he was praying, while he was worshiping, and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you, Job, I've got, a, I've got some bad news. The, the stock market has just crashed for you. All of your donkeys and all of your oxen, an entire third of your operation is gone. Job, you were worth this much, now you're worth this much. But you still have enough in the bank to take care of you. But I don't know about your kids, they're out there. They're charging up a pretty big tab, right? They're having a pretty good time, so you better check on them. They might be spending too much. But Job keeps praying, and Job keeps worshiping. And while he was still speaking, another also came. The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Oh, God, Job, I'm so sorry, but your entire sheep operation is gone. I mean, you're putting clothes on the back of every person in the land. You are the sole proprietor of retail clothes, right, in the, in the country. And Job, I'm sorry, that's been taken from you. And while he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away. And yes, they killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped. Job, I know we, we operate all the highways around here. Your camels are taking everybody back and forth to work, back and forth to town, back and forth to vacation. You own the highway system, right? So Job, you lost your agricultural business, you lost your clothing business, and now you've lost your transport system. Job, I hate to tell you, but you're broke. It's over, Job. They're already on the way to take your home. They're already on the way to take your children's homes. But Job kept worshiping. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Can you imagine this? And Job's thinking, no. Take my money, take my business, take the companies. I don't care about that stuff, but... Suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they are dead, Job. And I alone escaped to tell you. This makes Job have to get up off his face, right? He can't keep singing. He can't keep worshiping, right? In the moment. Lost everything. Job arose and tore his robes and shaved his head. He fell to the ground. And he worshipped. Can you imagine that? I mean, listen, if I was making this up, if this was just a fake story, I might would include the first part, the first disaster. And maybe then Job would still worship because he's still got money in the bank and he's still got family. But you know what? And I believe that the Bible's inspired. This is an event that actually happened in history. But can you imagine this? One after another, after another, after another. And he had every reason to stand up and shout and complain and at least take a day off from worshiping, right? Maybe get his head together. But he worships. 
They were all gathered together around the table of thanksgiving with all the spread and all the glory and all the wonderful things in the house fell on them and it's gone and they're gone and Job is alone. And he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord... But Job, 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 the Lord didn't do this. You don't know what's really going on. Job says, I don't need to know what's going on because I know who's in charge. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed... You really going to say that, Job? Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. And I think God in heaven's thinking, you could have charged me with a little bit wrong. It wouldn't have hurt my feelings. I wouldn't have expected you to be so blameless in this, Job. But my goodness, can you imagine this? Job didn't know what was going on. Job didn't have an inside track. And that's what makes verse 21 so powerful. Job assumes that God took it all away. And he's okay with that. Job believed that God wasn't just good when He gives, but that God was just as good when He takes. Is that registering with you? Job refused to believe the lie that God, that if God takes and rather, rather than giving, that somehow He's betrayed us or lied to us. Job trusted that God knew what He was doing. Job had an open hand. And whether God gave or God took, whether God seemed good or God seemed bad, God was still God. And that's what made Him so good. Job was thankful not because he was full, but because the fullness of God was around him and he rested and trusted in Him. Job's gratitude was not anchored in what he held in his hands, but in whose hands he was always held in. So after Job lost everything good, Job still had hope and faith. He still had God. I tell you guys, preparing for this, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. Because it's just left me a mess. Blameless and upright. None like him in all the land. When Thanksgiving was over, Job had plenty of thanks left over. Because his hope was not in his goods, but in his God. His hands were open. And if God took, it was just as good as if God gave. I'm not trying to get you to not say thank you for the good stuff. I just think there's a better reason to say thank you. Because behind the good is a God who's always better and bigger than we can imagine. We rejoice all these years later because God remains in control. Especially in the midst of brokenness and sin, He sent a Savior for us all to be broken like us and broken for us. And it's in Christ's resurrection from death that we stand confidently that no matter what, good or bad, Jesus is Lord. And that's good news. And we're in good hands. Amen. We're going to stand together in, in a minute after we pray and sing a song I think is appropriate for the day. If there's a need on your heart and you want to come and pray, God is ready to forgive. God's ready to heal. God's ready to pardon. He's ready to help anybody that needs help. But if you just want to come and say, thank you, Lord. 
And you can say thank you for all the stuff. That's okay. But God, I just want to say thank you because I know you and I can talk to you and I can be in your hands. And if I have nothing in my hands, I'm still in your hands. Maybe you just want to say thank you. And this song, I hope, is an opportunity to carry your praise this morning. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. We are so unworthy. We're humbled today at the story of Job. And Lord, what an example for this man who lost everything and he worshiped because he knew that he was in your hands and he didn't look at what he had in his. He looked down and knew he was still in yours. God, we're going to sing this song thanking Jesus for all that he's done for us, all that he's been for us, but for who he is most of all, the Savior, the Lord of all. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.